0: It's another episode here with Wake Up With Casey. And today, I want to talk more about traumas, abuse, and, you know, how do you overcome that? How do you heal from that? How do you even know, you know, when you're a child, you experience trauma, but you don't remember it and the cycles and the patterns that go on from generation. And today I have two special guests joining us today who are authors of Healing Begins With Us. Please welcome Janine Weaver and Ronnie Techenor. Hello, ladies. Hello.
1: Thank you so much for having us.
0: It is an honor and a pleasure. And you're an author of Healing Begins With Us. How did that go about with both of you? Well, <laughs> well, it's something that
1: um, I actually have thought about for a while, writing a book um, about our family of origin, and I, I, Ronnie and I started talking about this a number of years ago, and I said, you know, our story, we've we've been told, as I progressed in counseling, that our story is very unique um, because of the roles that we played in our family, typically uh, as the I was the scapegoat. Uh, and my sister, Ronnie, was the hero. And normally those roles, those people are, are going to be at odds their whole lives. They never become friends. And so the fact that we forged a very strong bond and friendship as young adults, as we were beginning our lives, um, getting married and having our first, our first children, um, we, we felt that it was a very important story that needed to be told. And so we decided to write this book together and to focus on our relationship and how we helped each other to heal and how forging such a strong friendship and bond as sisters really helped incredibly accelerate our healing process. Yes.
0: So what is your story? I mean, you know, there, you know, we all experience some form of abuse in in childhood. And, you know, from my understanding, looking back at history and time periods of the way things were, how you know people were raised and whatnot, it you know, they don't realize what they're doing was harmful. They're just following a program, a belief system that's been passed down. Would would that be safe to say that that's how it was with you growing up in childhood?
2: I would say, to a certain extent, that is true. Um, We grew up in a home with multiple what they now call adverse childhood experiences, right? Different kinds of trauma. So the key ones for us were addiction um, in our dad, um, abuse that we experienced at the hands of our parents, and um, mental illness struggles that our parents had. And so all of those came together to create the traumas that we that we experienced, right? Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Uh, we do recognize that this is intergenerational, that our parents had their own traumas. Uh, they did share you know, some of their backgrounds with us, how they were raised. And you're right, it, you know, at the time that our parents were raised, um, just for most people, just keeping your child alive, right? Getting them through school, like that was the bar for being a good parent. Um, so we, we know that in some ways they were passing on what they got to us in an on, almost automatic way. But we also, um, so, so we have compassion for them in that way, for what they experienced and their own traumas. But we do still hold them accountable because they, they on some level knew that what they were doing was not right because they would never do it in front of other people, not even family members. They didn't do these things in front of their parents or their siblings or good friends right? There was a, a front that they put out in the world there. We're a close, warm, loving, happy family. And then there was the reality of what was happening behind closed doors. So that, that that's how I would respond to to your question, right? There, there certainly was an intergenerational component. Um, there's an energy that, that they were carrying that they probably didn't fully understand. Um, but there also are ways in which it seemed clear to us that they knew that they could have done better. Because they hid a lot of what they did.
0: And you hear that, that that's mainly how most dysfunctional families behave and operate. Right. You Mm -hmm. know, and some of them, you know, go to church and it's all, but then when they get out, it's a total opposite behavior.
2: Right. Right. Absolutely. It, um, it's very common for in families with dynamics like ours, right. Related to addiction and abuse and and mental illness for there to be people just living in denial, right? Like I said, we, we told ourselves, we were this warm, close, loving, happy family. And we, we weren't, and it wasn't until as Jenny said, we were in our late twenties and we had gotten married and we were having our first children that we in our desire to be good parents ourselves we said, okay, and everybody does this, right? Even if you had great parents, everybody has something where they say, well, I'm never going to do that, that my parents did to me. I hated that. And, and conversely, the things that you want to imitate. So we were having those kinds of conversations. And we found that there were a lot of things on the I'm never going to do that side of the ledger, that there was a lot of pain there. Mm-hmm. And so that's when we really began to unpack what happened to us and kind of break through that denial, that there was nothing wrong, that everything was fine um that, you know, I, it wasn't a problem. There were no problems in our family. Or if there were problems, they were Jenny's fault. If Jenny could just get her act together, then, you know, as a scapegoat, right? We scapegoated right. her for any problems in the family. If she'd just get her act together, then everything would be fine. So that's, you know, th- those are the the um, dysfunctional dynamics, some of the key ones that we lived with growing up that's, that are very common for people who grew up in families like ours. Well,
0: what were some of the words spoken, you know, to you two growing up, you know, like you're stupid, you're, you know, you don't know nothing.
2: You know, it actually was more subtle than that. Our mother actually congratulated herself on the fact that she never called us (laughs) stupid. She never used that word, but she did things to make us look and feel stupid. And Jenny, I think you probably can speak better to some of the things that mom and dad said to you over the years. In terms of um, the emotional abuse, sure. You know, there, there was, um,
1: you know, there, w- they would, they made a point of of telling us um, they loved us. They, they made a point of um, when we were very little, tucking us in. Um, but that, that kind of, that kind of went to the wayside as we became older. Um, they certainly used words like lazy, and um, you know, if you weren't moving fast enough, there was, there was a tremendous amount of berating. A, tr- a, a consistent amount of screaming. And I mean, screaming, um, yelling, cursing. Um, so it wasn't, you know, if you, if you broke something, it wasn't a, oh gosh, that's an accident. It was a huge explosion of, you know, telling you what a, what a, what idiot you are for breaking, you know, dropping the ashtray, you know, or, and breaking it or, or whatever. Um, we, we talk about different stories in the book. We use those stories mainly to illustrate what it felt like to give you a, a snapshot of, of the dynamics that were occurring on a regular basis. And, and it was typically, you know, the explosions would come if, you know, we weren't moving fast enough with doing the dishes or, you know, or cleaning the house or whatever task it was that we were given. And we started doing the dishes at age five. So, you know, it, it wasn't, um, wasn't a family you know effort it was the three of us kids it was our job you know um to divvy up all the household chores but but it wasn't even that it was just that I mean if they needed to release tension or, or their anger they found an excuse to blow up and berate you and mm-hmm. and to beat you right. and some of the things that we were beaten for were absolutely ridiculous um and And we knew that at the time. I mean, there were as we got seven, eight, nine, you know, um, there were there were moments where I'm like, I don't deserve this. And I'm not going to give them the satisfaction of crying. Um, So so that kind of conditioning, because you're conditioned, you're, you're in these roles, you know, from childhood, from from as your brain is forming um, two, three, four, five, you know, you're not, you're not capable of critical thinking at that time. You're literally just brainwashed that this is the way it is. But I do remember having moments of this is, this is so unfair. I don't deserve this. And, and that kind of abuse teaches you to one, not trust yourself, not trust your perceptions because you're being told that you're, 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 a terrible child and you're just, you're just so awful. And if you weren't so awful, I wouldn't have to beat you. Um, But, but, but in, you know, as you're developing reasoning skills, you're thinking, what the heck did I do? You know, you're bewildered. And, Mm. and then also the other, the other, the other facet of it is, is you're being taught to dissociate from your body. You're being taught to ignore your pain that you didn't, you know, you don't have pain. You didn't, you know, it's, it's this whole, Um, Well, I didn't mean to hurt you. Therefore, you're not hurt. Um, And including the beatings, you know, it was, uh, there was no apology. There was no, I went too far. I shouldn't have done that. There was never an acknowledgement of responsibility or or error on their part. They were infallible in in the whole way that they treated us. And we were always made to feel we were wrong.
0: Mm -hmm. And wouldn't you also agree that you know, it since, especially when you're a child growing up and you're like, Oh, but I love you. And then the next thing you know, you're getting beaten. Like that sends a confusion of what love is.
2: Absolutely. Yes. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. So it it's certainly it's no it's no um, coincidence that kids who grow up in those environments are more likely to end up in abusive relationships because they confuse love with violence.
0: Or mental abuse, or emotional abuse, verbal right. abuse. Right, or, or,
2: they, or they become doormats, right? Because <laughs> we, we didn't really, one of the hallmarks of, of a home like ours, it, another dynamic is that the rules change all the time. So like you can imagine that if you're being berated and beaten, you're highly motivated to find out what the rules are and follow them so you can keep yourself safe. Absolutely. But the rules keep changing. And so there's a lot of fear, right? There's a lot of fear just as a, as a baseline. Um, but you're just, you're just always trying to take the temperature of the room and trying to figure out, you know, how can I keep you happy so that I don't get hurt. Mm-hmm. And so then there's a lot of people pleasing, being a doormat, letting people walk all over you. That's very, very common for people who have grown up with these kinds of dynamics. So there are, you're right. There are all kinds of ways in which, um, relationships and, you know, moving forward can be, um, can be affected. Just, just the fact that, that, um, Another dynamic in families like ours is isolation, right? They don't want anybody to know what's really going on in the family. And so you get the message early on, you can't talk about it. And then your parents don't trust you to have too many close relationships because they're afraid you might reveal something. So they keep you pulled back, right? Isn't Um, that
0: narcissistic in a way?
2: Yes, yes, it is. I mean, we're there to meet their needs. So that's definitely, you know, emotional abuse and and narcissism is certainly part of that. But Mm -hmm. then there's this isolation so that, you know, as kids, we didn't get to, it's this very odd thing where you, as Jenny said, you get conditioned and this is kind of normal. This is the way um, your life is, but you sort of know that not everybody is this way, but because you're isolated, you don't get to see a lot of other families up close. You don't get to really make the connections you need to, to say, this is wrong and I need to reject this and get out of here as fast as possible. And, you know, so you you end up being sort of trapped in it many people their whole lives there are a lot of people who grow up with the kind of dynamics that we experience who will never ever come to the realization their parents were addicts that what they experienced was abuse that there was anything wrong with it they just know that they're in a lot of pain their entire lives and they don't know what to do about it how to get rid of it how to manage it so it's i mean as jenny said the fact that she and i were able to come together and kind of break through the denial and chart a healthier path forward i mean we we think of that as a miracle it just it, it's it, a lot of people a lot of people suffer their whole lives and don't yeah, really know they're
0: still, why they're, they're, they're stuck in the past they're reliving everything and it does change you know because i talk about emotional energetic traumas and i you know being a woman we bring life into this earth mm-hmm. You know, so whatever we're experiencing, being pregnant, that unborn child is going through it, too, and has no idea.
2: Right. Absolutely.
0: And then you get into this earth, and then you're compounded with even more. And then you grow up as an adult, and you don't understand, why does this keep happening to me? Why am I attracting this? You know, what's wrong with me? You don't realize that you got this energy that even changed the biochemistry in your body, in your development.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's funny that you, you know, use that question, what's wrong with me? The One of the early chapters in our book is called, what the hell's the matter with you? Which is a question our dad used to always ask us. What the hell's the matter with you? Why did you do whatever. Right. Why did you do that? And, and that's it. Right. We're and, and we say sometimes we still say, what the hell's the matter with us? Right. What, why are we why are we feeling this way or why are we experiencing this? Because the, the truth is, I mean, we've been on this this recovery journey for several decades now. The truth is you are always on it. Right. I mean, we are living beautiful, happy lives now. But this, like you say, energetically and particularly in particular, you, you just don't get rid of this stuff completely. Right. Right? You learn how to manage it. You learn how we learned how to break the cycle and and do things differently in our our relationships with our husbands and our relationships with our children. Um, But we didn't protect them from everything. And we, you know, we still find ourselves. Think, wow, I thought I already learned this lesson or, you know, "I I thought I was past this. And it just the as you said, the energy of it stays a long time. It's easy to sort. It's easier to sort things intellectually than it is to really re- reprogram the energy of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I like to use alchemy. You transmute it,
2: mm-hmm. to right? To
0: where it doesn't come back again. Mm-hmm. And there is a process through that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, but then you you start once you deal with it, then that dissolves but then you open space for something new mm-hmm. right yeah absolutely better
1: we talk about it as a layer of an onion you know it really is you're peeling away layers at a time you are you are definitely changing your energy as you are addressing each layer and then releasing it and healing it but it is it is it's it, an ongoing journey honestly it does not just okay it's been 35
0: years i've arrived you know it's not like that Mm-mm. <laughs> Because there's, there's soul essence of things that, you know, I believe in past lives, like the soul never dies. Mm -hmm. It just takes on a different form. Mm -hmm. You know, I look at one of my greatest mentors. I, you probably know of him, Dr. Wayne Dreyer.
2: Yes. We love (laughs)
0: him. He, he said it perfectly. He goes, this, your soul is like a ghost. This is the machine. The body that you're in is the machine that operates.
1: Yep hmm absolutely.
0: And, and it's, and it's connected to something, a greater intelligence that keeps your heart beating and you don't even have to think about it. Keeps your lungs exhaling and inhaling. You don't have to think about it. You know, so mm-hmm. the soul has been around probably thousands of years and experienced so much and remembers so much. Mm-hmm. And then you're carrying some of these traumas, not just ancestral, but on your own, you know, your soul journey. Right. And to be in this lifetime on this earth, it's discovering that so you can be here now in the present and live life.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've had some moments along the way in our healing journey where I've, I've actually had this feeling like something was shifting for me. I was healing something and I could feel <laughs> the generational connection, right. Mm-hmm. Going back through my ancestral lineage. It's a very powerful, very powerful feeling when you can tap. Yeah, in.
0: Cause you know, on my like spiritual awakening and journey, you know, it's like the scarcity, poverty, you know, and there was physical abuse. There was even sexual abuse. There was like, it keeps, and I'm like, wow, how far back does this go? <laughs> you know? I- and then if you look up history of how things were, even in the beginning of our creation, there's a misconception about that. You know, and some deceit about that. So I see how this program has been going along all this time and it really affected women mostly and i and i find that fascinating I'm like wow women were suppressed they didn't have a voice they didn't like you know they were sold they were bought they were beaten they were more considered a piece of property and i'm looking how it's that stuff still goes on today Right. In certain parts of the other country.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you're right. And that's that was a big motivator for us to write this book together was to help, you know, most of us who are survivors of abuse, uh, trauma, um, addiction, mental illness in our homes. Um, we suffer in silence. We don't talk about it. Most people don't want to hear it because there's this huge umbrella of shame that is put on the <laughs> who is the innocent you know you were an innocent child born into this you did nothing wrong to deserve to be treated this way you didn't sign up for abuse um, and yet we we put a, a gag on on survivors and say don't I'm not gonna ask and don't tell me um, and so that was part of our motivation for writing this book together was and we found for us it was really, another, another layer, lifting another layer from that onion, peeling that away and and realizing that we were both still carrying shame of what was done to us. And that, that was, and, and we want to help other people on their healing journey. Mm -hmm. And that meant telling part of our story and sharing, honestly, yes, this, this is what we grew up with. This is what we survived because we did not deserve to carry this shame. It was not our shame to carry. And that that's really part of our message. Is this, this is really a spiritual journey, journey of healing and and of, of learning to love, not just forgiveness of the people that harmed us and, and loving them, loving ourselves, of self-love, of self-acceptance and saying that I, I deserve to be loved for all of who I am. I deserve to stand in the light and be seen and be accepted Mm -hmm.
0: and a lot of times it you know from the religious aspect because I remember like obey your parents honor your mother and father Mm -hmm. but then I'm like hmm if a mother or father is beating the child and abusing the child how can you honor and obey them
1: I think the best way to honor someone is to step out of the cycle of abuse and stay out of range Mm -hmm. because it doesn't honor them to continue to to participate in the abuse with them to allow them to dishonor themselves by abusing you so for me the most loving act that i actually did was to step out of range and stay out of range i do not hate my parents i i love them was i angry of course i was angry for the Mountain of pain that they caused in my life. But I certainly have forgiven them, I believe, as much as is humanly possible. And I want for them spiritual healing. I want for them to find peace. But it is not my responsibility. I can't give that to them. I can't do that for them. Mm -hmm. I had to get healthy. I had to heal and love myself. And by doing that, I am hopefully setting an example to invite them to heal and love themselves.
0: So, it's, how is the is your parents still alive?
2: Yes, they're both still alive, but we have not had contact with them in many years.
0: Wow, that's a lot of courage to like. Just because they brought you into this, or you know, doesn't mean that you have to have that relationship.
1: We, well, we certainly exhausted every every avenue, every and made every possible effort to reach them to explain to them why we could no longer stay in this abusive relationship. We had to step out of it. Um, and, and I was really the one pushing that. I, I was the one that lived closest to them and I could, not, I could not continue to participate. And I knew that I could not sacrifice my children to
0: right. those
1: dynamics. They were trying to create those dynamics with my first two children. And, I, and I, I'm the one that said to Ronnie, I'm, I'm out. I cannot yeah. stay in this any longer. And that was after we, and that was at the point that we decided to attempt an intervention with my dad to see if we could at least break through some of the denial and talk about the addiction. And that was not successful for him, but, but it was, but it was the turning point for both of us to say, we deserve to be, we deserve to heal. We deserve to be at peace. Our families deserve to heal and be at peace. And it starts with us.
2: Right. So it took me longer to get there, as Jenny said, because my role in the family is the hero, right? My job was to uh, make the family look good, right? Be a super achiever and all those things. So I was sort of the good kid, the shining star. And I was trying to keep the family together. I was trying to say, wait, wait, let's, I I, I can talk to them. I can, I can move them. I can make a rational argument and they will listen to me and I I can control it. I can do it. I can, I can, I can, I can. (laughs) It was a fool's. Oh, the people
0: pleaser Yeah,
2: well, Well, also control, right? I can control anything. I can do anything. And so I was, yeah, I was trying to be the peacemaker. And I did that for a good six to 12 months as Jenny kept saying, I can't. I can't keep coming back. I can't. And it really was, it was seeing what they were doing to their grandchildren, right? She had two daughters at that time and I had one. And they were, they had already identified a scapegoat in the next generation. It was Jenny's second daughter. She wasn't even two years old. And they were already treating her abominably, um, so it it just it, we couldn't do it. There were also um, issues of sexual abuse in our family, and we were very concerned about the the safety of our children. Uh, so it 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 was very difficult. Um, we uh, we do have a podcast ourselves, and one of our episodes is called "Forgiveness Without Reconciliation," where we talk about this. How, as Jenny said, we've forgiven them as much as as we can as human beings. We love them. We we hope. All good things for them including healing but you cannot reconciliation requires two parties Mm -hmm. working honestly to make a relationship better and we could not get them to do that in fact if you know anything about the dynamics in in abusive relationships as we tried to pull away they escalated and got out of control in terms of the the abusive things that they did So um, they they made it really easy for us, right? As we tried to pull away, they just showed us exactly why. And and in fact, over the years, we've had times where we said, well, maybe we can reach out and just have the most superficial of relationships. Let's just, how are you, right? Once a month, can I talk to you on the phone and say, how are you? And every time we had those thoughts, they would reach out to grab us and hurt us in a new way. And we would go, oh, okay, that's the universe telling us, nope. Nope, your plan is good. Stay where you are. Mm-hmm. So that's the other piece, as Jenny said, is that we, we want people to recognize that it can be the most loving thing, not just for you, but for your other family members to walk away.
0: That and have you- a peace of mind, finally. And right. freedom. Yes. Oh my God, freedom. Yes. Freedom to heal fully.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And once
0: you heal that freedom, that experience of freedom you have a it's like getting a piece of your true essence back your power back
1: yes absolutely
0: yep
1: you are you are standing up for yourself you are standing up and saying i deserve to be loved i deserve to be cherished and and if i am the one that needs to love and cherish myself in the ways that i did not receive as a child then that that is of in, immense importance and value and that's what we've learned to do We've learned to parent ourselves, nurture and love ourselves and each other. Mm-hmm. We've become we've more than sisters and friends, we've we've kind of mothered each other at times and been there for each other in the ways that that we did not receive that as children.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and would it be safe to say along your journeys that you discovered that love was inside you all along? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm absolutely we were denying i think fully who we were and i i refer to it as being hijacked i mean we were hijacked <laughs> our on our true identities were were ignored and we were forced to play roles we were forced to be what our parents needed us to be to hide the mental illness the addiction the abuse mm-hmm. and so what we've been doing for the last 30 years is reclaiming who we are who who we are fully Mm -hmm. and giving ourselves permission to to embrace all of who we are and let our inner guidance our higher self our intuition guide us
0: when did you discover your intuition
1: (coughs) sorry i would i would say that it was we were in hyper vigilance so our our intuition was was heightened from probably toddlerhood on I mean we we are both highly empathic highly intuitive people Ronnie doesn't accept it as openly (laughs) (laughs) I have a harder time seeing myself that way but but it's there I have been reading the room and reading people um since I was a, a young child and that's how I survived um and tried to avoid more explosions um but yeah, it, it is it is something that I think I, I use in a in a healthy way. Um, I try to honor people's privacy because I'm very good at reading people, and I intentionally try not to read people uh, unless I'm given permission or asked, you know. But um, but will well, give
0: you permission to read me? <laughs> I like to know more about myself. <laughs>
1: But that's something that Ron and I actually have done together part of the, and we talk about that in the book. Um, we started, we started experimenting with, um, intuitive, um, seminars, like, uh, going to, um, animal communication, um, training together and, and, uh, working with Danielle uh, McKinnon and just, just really exploring and expanding our intuitive, um, working with our soul guides, um, and we found that we we're really good at it, and we love it. We just yeah. we love it. It gave us a lot of joy. So it's things like that, um, going to Reiki healing um, training together, um, and and just just accepting who we are and what speaks to us and what um, makes us feel excited or makes our heart. I like to say makes my heart sing. You know, uh, and that's what we we do a lot of that those things together.
2: Yeah. Wow. I would say too, just, I mean, just to go back to, you know, when did we know we were intuitive? As Jenny said, we had a certain kind of intuition that a therapist would call hyper vigilance, which is that, you know, being on guard and trying to keep yourself safe by being read what's going on. But also we kind of touched on this earlier, being in the kind of situation that we were, the home environment that we were, we were constantly told that what we were seeing and experiencing wasn't happening to us. Like Jenny said, I didn't, hurt you. I didn't mean to hurt you. Therefore, you are not hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, Dad's not an alcoholic. His drinking is not a problem. Like all these things that you can see with your eyes that are happening, you're being told are not happening. And so that's part of the denial. And um, so what that does is it, It, it as Jenny said, you know, we, we had to learn to trust ourselves again because we're seeing things and things that we, we know to be true, right? It, but yet we're told they're not true. And so right. we had to kind of um, you know, unravel those patterns, and then figure out how to reconnect with our intuition in an authentic way. So that's um, that's a kind of uh, damage, if you will, that that you don't use, always hear people talk about um, in terms of the dynamics associated with families like ours. Is that people really don't know how to trust themselves in many cases because they've been all the, they've been told all these things are true that aren't true. In fact, sometimes the opposite of what they're told is exactly. actually. And so, so you, so you end up thinking what's wrong with me, right? I must be nuts because this is what I'm seeing, but people are telling me this is happening over here. And so
0: hearing, feeling,
2: right. Right. All of those things. So you have
0: being, you know, like animals and and young children, like I think up to the age of seven, they're in their purest spiritual, like they, they see that spiritual invisible realm.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Animals. Definitely, because they're not told otherwise like, oh, you're just seeing things, you're hallucinating, you're crazy, or, you know, um, and I find that, like, disheartening, but it, everyone has gone through it.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Every one of us have gone through it. When we're young, we do see more, hear more, feel more, Mm -hmm. and so... The day we're told, oh no, you didn't, you didn't feel that, or you didn't see that, you didn't hear that. You're imagining, you're imagining that. Your mm-hmm. your your imagination yep. is going crazy again.
1: And you start doubting yourself. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah now it's like I, what intuition, like the sees, like clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience, What ones did you? like are dominant in, in using?
2: So for me, I, it took me a while to figure this out, but for me, I have just a sense of knowing, like I just Mm -hmm. know something. And so then I have, you know, I, I'm an academic, right. I, I'm a college professor. And so I live in the world of the rational mind. And so this stuff that, how can I just know something? Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's very easy for me to talk myself out of it, even though it's like, I know that to be true. Or I know, I know that this is this is what's happening. And so that's where Jenny says, I've, I've struggled a little more to accept uh, the information that comes to me intuitively. I'm getting better about that. But I think it's because I'm not seeing things or hearing things, that would be a little harder to ignore. But the sense of just knowing something, it's like, oh, no, I just made that up. That's not, you know, that's not real. So it was easier for me to kind of dismiss that um, in, information that came into me intuitively that way.
0: Yeah. Well, I would look at you then and say, wow, that's fascinating that you know that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I figured it out. I figured out why I was so resistant to, because I would know something and I would wait until I would see something or hear something before I would say it, right? Because you That you validation
0: know. and confirmation, like, right? yes. I go through that same thing. So I feel you on that one. <laughs> I do. It's like, how did I know this? Like, how? that's weird. Like. I knew this, but I also feel more uh, sometimes I hear and sometimes I see. Mm -hmm. It just comes you know, this part, that part, that not all together at the same time. Just here and there kind of thing. And then my channeling. Because I channel um, ancient civilization and highly evolved beings. If you want to call Mm. them extraterrestrial, Mm -hmm. I channel and that language that the native, the it's almost like the lost language. Oh, it's to me, it's very intense, and I can tell by the frequency, the vibration of what level, what kind of being. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: then I've I've learned the masculine and feminine energy that comes through through me. But Mm -hmm. the language is like, wow, I wish I could speak Spanish and French and Italian like that but you know it's fascinating and it's it's like another journey like i'm more curious you know when i started this channeling i didn't know what i was doing you know and and i had to get out of the church and the religion because that's when i got more clarity more understanding of what was truly going on I'm like wow we have it all wrong <laughs> like, everyone wake up please because <laughs> then there would be more harmony there would be more peace
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. and, I, and I had to you know someone said something it's like everyone's on their own spiritual journey
1: mm-hmm. yes absolutely
0: and you have to love them where they're at and let them go
1: Yes. Because
0: all they're going to do is keep you. You're trying to go up here. They're still here. You don't want to go back down here. You want to keep evolving. It's evolving and growing and expanding. Mm -hmm. And that's part of our life experience. Would you agree? Mm -hmm.
1: Definitely. We're here. We're here to grow and to, and, you know, I, I think it's very simple. We're here to grow in love and compassion and kindness. That's, that's our ultimate goal. So, yeah, so I, I'm very similar to Ronnie in, in how I receive information. It's mostly unknowing, but I do I do feel things a lot in my body um, when receiving information. And then I usually get confirmations with visuals.
0: Yeah. Excuse me. And it, it, it's fascinating because it, it got more interesting when I <coughs> went to massage school and became a massage therapist. I'm mm. retired now. But it was, wow. Like energy, I, I, I'm into the Reiki energy work. You could heal through that. I'm even now learning about alchemy. Mm-hmm. So I find that very, it's like connecting the dots. Like things that you're drawn to that show up in, to present itself to you to help you. Mm -hmm. you know and then being like arts and you know doing this podcast now and you know video and having my own talk show it's like I said like I want to do that like when I was in my teens and totally like went in went out the other you know one year in one year out the other and I just went on with my life I didn't like now it's all coming back to me making more sense like oh now i get it okay yeah is that how your journey has been like recognizing and that being that intuitive and then the healings that you know the like flashback memories or something and you're like oh wait a minute hold up a second oh so that's why this happened okay now i get it
2: Yeah. Yeah, So we've had a number of of threads. I mean, part of what we've done, particularly, um, you know, in the early part of our healing, we did, um, you know, we tried conventional counseling and 12-step groups like Al-Anon and Adult Children of Alcoholics. Um, We read lots and lots of books, everything we could get our hands on. And all those things got us to a certain point. And then we realized that, you know, okay, we've kind of processed things intellectually and emotionally there is this spiritual wound that needs to be healed. And so um, I think you probably, you started us off with the Reiki training, Jenny, but, but we've kind of just moved forward from that. Like, we'll just see something and go, we have to do this. And so mm-hmm. I'll just call her up and I'll say, hey, we're gonna go to this workshop on this thing here because we just need to do it. And we just trust that that's, but you should tell about you should tell your story about the Reiki, how you
1: got us into Reiki. Oh, the Reiki. Well, <clears throat> when I was a student uh, as a nurse practitioner, I had a wonderful uh, community health nursing um, clinical instructor who worked with hospice. She worked with hospice care and she also had her own Reiki practice. And that was my introduction to Reiki. We were actually doing research papers on energy healing and the different modalities, including prayer. Uh, and I actually, that was one of my research papers, what, what was talking about the scientific um, data that showed that these different healing modalities including prayer had tremendous positive impacts on patients that received them in a variety of clinical settings uh, so anyway so she at the toward the end of our our clinical rotation that semester she took us to her reiki to to hospice the unit that she was working with and also her reiki uh, practice and asked for a volunteer and out of the 12 students nobody wanted to volunteer so i was I was starting to struggle with headaches, so I thought, okay, I'll go. And the experience I had was profound, to say the least. Um, she, she started on the crown chakra, talked about how there was a tremendous amount of activity there, um, she, and she was describing um, how I have trouble turning my mind off. I discussed that I, it, it feels like I have trouble sleeping, and yeah, I did, I was living on like three hours sleep at that time and had been all through graduate school. Um, and so she discussed these things. And I'm like, how in the world could she possibly know this just by having her hand a few inches above my head? Same thing with my my third eye. She said there's tremendous activity here. She said you you she said you live in your crown, but also your third eye. She said, you are constantly reading people, reading the room. I mean, she's discussing how how I operate in the world, right? Day in and day out. I'm like, how could she know this? She got to my throat and said this is very cold. This is tremendously blocked. This, this is an energy block that's been there. She said for several, she said many years. And she said, I I need to send energy to here to try and release some of this energy block. And as she did, and this is back in the days when we were, we were taught, you want to cry, I'll give you something to cry about. So we didn't, Ronnie and I were not criers. The tears started to just flow like a river seriously in front of my, my, (laughs) my classmates. But I felt this tremendous heat, And I I felt it was like there was a vice around my neck and I did, I wasn't aware of it, but it felt like a vice was around my neck. And as the heat started to flow, the vice started to release. And, and then it, it just felt like a weight was, was lifted. And again, the tear, I wasn't sobbing, but the tears would not stop. So she stayed there for, I don't know how long. And I just, and then I, I was, I was like trembling, not, not like shaking, not like cold, but my body was just kind of. Quivering. Vibrating! Oh my gosh. Vibrate, yeah. Yeah. Integrating, migrate. Yeah. I, I, I felt things shifting. I'd never experienced before. When she got to my heart, same thing. She said, I feel a tremendous blockage here. It feels very heavy, very tight, very cold. She said, I'm going to need to send some energy here as well. And I'm like, go for it. And it's same thing. I immediately felt this tremendous tightness in my chest, this pressure, this just miserable feeling that I was not aware that I was carrying around with me. I'd lived with it for so long. And again, as the energy heated in more tears flowing, my, my whole body is doing the the vibrating thing. And then it felt like an elephant was lifted off my chest, got to my abdomen, said same thing about you've had years of stomach problems. She said, it feels like there's been a lot of your stomach is inflamed, feels like you've been vomiting a lot. Yep. Every time the energy would get so ugly in the house, I would vomit. So I vomited a lot as a child. So here she is going through my body telling me all these things. And, and as she's doing it, the tears are flowing like a river. Same thing with the GI track um, talked about the, the blockages in the GI track. Um, uh, it, It was amazing by the time she finished and she probably worked on me for I don't know, a half hour, maybe a little bit longer. And I, I felt like a puddle and I couldn't, And but when she was finally done with me, I felt this just immense pressure leave my body and a lightening of the body. And I, I felt amazing. And the headache was gone. <laughs> um, but and I, I told her, I said, I don't know why I'm crying. I said, I, 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 I I'm not a crier. I, I, I just. She said, it's energy releasing. It's okay. And she said, and by the way, I, re- I recommend that you have some more treatments. <laughs> you say, what? He said, I recommend that you have some more Reiki treatments because you know, oh. there's some more energy that I, I feel like needs to be shifted. <laughs> I was okay. So I, I knew I didn't know what was going on in my body. I had just been working on this research paper, and I'm like, okay. I need to find out more about this but it, it took me a dozen more than that right ronnie maybe a dozen yeah, years well, like 15 anyway 15 before the timing finally because i believe we were meant to do this together yeah. and so i was looking for uh reiki training that would that would have continuing education credits for for my my nurse practitioner license and i just called up ronnie one day and said ronnie I found this great Reiki training in Detroit. We could meet there. We'll get a hotel. Um, you and I can hang out and have a sister's weekend, you know, after I go through the training and she said, Reiki training. Well, I'll go with you. What's Reiki. (laughs) That was how we we started.
2: (laughs) I I had no clue, right. The whole, the whole energetic piece was like the last piece for us as we were, as we were, well, we're not done obviously, right. The onion is still being peeled, but that was, um, that's another thing that we're trying to we want to raise awareness about is that that there is this enormous spiritual and energetic wound that most people don't talk about when they talk about recovering from childhood trauma, mm-hmm. and so you know we go through all the different things that we tried in the book, but you know we we say we it doesn't matter to us if people try Reiki or animal communication or any of the other things that we did, it's that they develop the trust in themselves to go oh that I need to do that I, I want to do that. that. <laughs> Whatever it is that they let themselves be called and that they follow that inner guidance. So what's being called to
0: you with your soul to help you heal. It's trust, whatever that is.
2: Yes. Exactly. 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 Which it sounds like is what you're talking about in your own journey. Right. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. The emotional energetic traumas. And that's why I talk about history, science, spirituality, the limited beliefs, the programs, the emotional energetic traumas.
1: Yes. Because
0: once you heal from that, it just like that, it changes and transforms your whole perspective of life Mm -hmm. and, and living your best life.
1: Absolutely. Right.
0: You know, and the freedom of that. And then you're being your true authentic self. Yes. Yes.
2: That's what matters to us now. Right. I mean, some of the things that we share in our book, they are very personal stories. Um, It was re-traumatizing to tell some of them. And yet we felt like this is what we experienced. And we, we know that there are people out there that may read it and feel like, gee, I don't know if this is really relevant to me, to my background. It's like we wanted to focus on not just what happened to us, but the feelings so people could resonate with the feelings. Even if you didn't do the same things or have the same things happen to you that we did, you'll recognize the feelings, right? The vibration of it, the energy, the emotion that you will understand and connect with. And so that's what that's, you know, and and we would never have been able to step out in that way. I won't say without shame, because I think that that's an ongoing issue. Right. But to be but to stand enough in our power and our truth to say, we must talk about this because we are convinced it will help other people. And therefore we're willing to move through whatever emotions come up as we, as we talk about what happened to us in the hopes that it will help other people.
1: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, earlier you were mentioning about, you know, having to, you know, what can I do? And then reading the room and everything, you're also in survival energy mode yes yes mm-hmm. and i think majority of human beings today are operating on on that and that's what's causing a lot of sickness and mm-hmm. disease because you're you you change that biochemistry and then you get it's like being an addict to being under that Survival mode, twenty four seven.
2: It it feels normal,
0: and so yeah, it becomes normal. And uh, one of my other good mentors, Dr. Joe Dispenza.
2: Hmm. Yes, we follow him as well. Yeah,
0: Greg Braden, Dr. Bruce Lipton. Yes. The, they're my three musketeers. Yes, <laughs> you know <laughs> I love those men, and they do, <clears> they do, they too. do and it, and that's why you know earlier I mentioned it's like you know the. The woman is the, creator, the the creator of life that brings life into this mm-hmm. world. And what we feel and experience, it's energy, emotion, energy in motion. And it does go through our children.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. And we owe it to ourselves to wake up for the future generation, because a lot of these younger generations now, that's why they're suffering. Yeah. And bless their souls. It's not their fault. Well,
2: we, you know, we've talked a lot about denial as being a key dynamic in households like ours. And so the, the question can become, well, how do you break through the denial? And I think, I think a really key question that people can ask themselves is you know, are your family relationships a source of ongoing pain? Right. If you if you walk away from interactions with your family members, parents, siblings, you know, grandparents, whomever, and you don't feel that great about yourself, right? More often than not, there's a decent chance that there's some trauma in your background.
0: Are you dread going to see your parents? Yeah. Right. For the holidays, and you know, or the family because you've. You know, that fear of, oh, is someone going to make a scene? Is it going to be this? Is it yeah. that sign right there?
2: Yes, definitely.
0: You know, and is it worth it? And so many families do that. And then there's, you know, some of them wind up making it on the news. Some of them am like, wow. Right. Yeah. And it, it's not so much denial, but I, I think that a lot of people are not even aware because it's so subconsciously, deeply rooted Mm -hmm. They don't recognize it. Right. It's not so much denial. It's just they don't recognize that that is an issue that is part of the dysfunction, the program, the limited belief. And it affects relationships and finances, every aspect of our lives. If we don't wake up to realize this, this is part of the root of the problem when there's a problem, there's a solution.
2: (laughs) Completely agree. Yes.
0: And I'm so proud of you too. And it, and you are truly amazing. And thank you you for everything that you do and continue to do to help others.
2: Thank you so much. That means Mm -hmm. a lot. It does.
0: And I love you. You're beautiful. <laughs> this has been such
2: a fun conversation to have with you. Thank you so much. Really. Well, these
0: it. are the kind of conversations that I love having that needs to be spoken. Mm-hmm. You know, someone watching this is probably thinking already, like, wait a minute. Hold up a second. I They're starting to remember questioning. Dr. Joe Vitale, ask a question. Question everything. That's what my journey, because... I was in an abusive marriage, the second one, and I was like, "Is this there all? Is this it in life? Is this all there is? Because I don't want to be here then."
1: Yeah, right.
0: But if there's a grass that's greener on the other side from where I'm standing, then show me the truth. Yeah, that's when I was adamant. That's when I was like at my breaking point, and I just shouted out to the universe, "Like you better show me the truth now, because I'm done with this bullshit."
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah.
0: And that's when things started showing up and revealing itself to me. Dr. Yeah. Joe Vitelli, you know, Bruce Lipton, Greg Braden, Dr. Yeah. Joe Dispenza, and so many others.
1: Yeah.
0: And I was like, wow. Rich dad, poor dad, Robert Kiyosaki. Mm-hmm. The poor teach the poor to be poor. Middle class teach the middle class to be middle class. The rich teach the rich to be rich. What category did you grow up in? And that was eye opener for me. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. And that was just one piece of the puzzle.
2: No, you're right. We, I mean, we have to think about these things in the context of of the way we live as a whole. Right. I mean, I'm a sociologist by training. So my big question is, why are we letting families do this to kids? Yeah. Why are we allowing this? We know this is happening. Why do we let it keep happening?
1: Yeah.
2: You know, that's the big question to ask. Why don't we do something about this, something meaningful about this? So we don't have to worry about moving through recovery.
0: And how do we get started? Where do we start? Mm
2: -hmm. Well, the, the research on families that have, um, where the parents are abusing their children show that it happens a lot due to stress, right. In particular, Mm -hmm. economic stress. There's also the intergenerational component, right? So I don't want to oversimplify, but supporting families. So the parents are not struggling to try to do everything they need to do to keep body and soul together and a roof over their children's house uh, heads and so on. um, That's a place to start.
1: Yeah.
2: So, but these are the big questions to be asking. Mm -hmm. I love that you're doing that. Ah,
1: Thank
0: you. Well, ladies, it's definitely once again, a, true honor and a pleasure to have this experience with you and being on this show i thank you so much and i put all the information down below for your book and where how they can contact you uh, for more information so i wish you the best of success
2: thank you thank you so much it's such a pleasure to be with you today we really really appreciate it
0: thank you Well, there you go. You never know what I'm going to talk about on this show. And I look forward to having more of beautiful and amazing people such as Ronnie and Jenny to help you on your journey of healing and transformation. And makeup and skincare is provided by pharmacy and jewelry provided by Pretty Bling Boutique. So stay tuned for the next episode of Wake Up With Casey you